HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Washington Wine. Download the Map My Washington Wine app. It's Map My W-A Wine and get all the Washington Wine right in your hand. Washington Wine, this is now. HRN has a brand new look, but we're sharing the same delicious stories. Invest in the future of food radio by becoming a monthly sustaining member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021, and we're talking about the summer of craft malt. And uh, our New York show today is with Jeff Lyons of Endless Life Brewing. So let's go around and introduce uh, each other. Start with Jeff, where are you from and where do you work and all that stuff? Hey, Jimmy, thanks for having us. Uh, I'm Jeff Lyons. I'm the owner and the brewer at Endless Life Brewing in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And right now I'm in bed a short walk from there. Great. And Ted? Uh, Ted Hawley with New York Craft Malt up here in Batavia, New York. Uh, malt and all the New York greens for everybody. That's great. And Chad? My name is Chad Meggs. I'm a hop grower from Casanova, New York. Thank you. And Chris? Hey guys, it's uh, Chris Holden from the New York Hop Guild. <laughs> okay, so we got, you know, those guys are at a very lively brewery up somewhere upstate. There's a lot going on uh, with New York ingredients, and it's come so far in the last 10 years. And uh, Jeff, I wanted to, to talk to you because I know you as a brewer with many hats for many years, and I love your beers, but I never thought of you as, as focused on New York state ingredients. And I saw you you had started a series at Endless Life Brewing about Meet the, and it was Meet the Hop Grower with Chris Holden. Just tell us about your backstory, man, because like I said, I love your beers. I've, I've had your beers at Keg and Lantern. I've had your beers before at Greenpoint. Um, yeah, and let's talk about what, what New York ingredients mean to you as a brewer. Yeah. So we we've I've had the the fortune at all of the places that I've I've brewed beer to play around with New York ingredients a little bit. Um but it was never the big main feature. Um and so I knew when I got out on my own and started my own brewery that we wanted to be 100% New York ingredients from the the very beginning. 
Um, and it's, it's a lot of reasons. There's the, the quality of the ingredients and, you know, everything that's in New York is going to be a little bit distinct from anywhere else. So you get to play with new flavors. Uh, plus you get to build relationships with incredible people like the ones on, on the show today. Great. So just bring us up to date. Where are you at with endless life? You know, it's been such a crazy year and a half. I haven't been over there yet, but thank you. Uh, you sent me a couple of beers and we'll talk about them today. Yeah. So we opened in February. We got licensed in mid-February and given the restrictions and just the, the state of the world, we didn't feel very good having events and inviting a bunch of people to, to come together in the same room. And so what we're doing is in a couple of weeks, uh, August 20th through the 22nd, we're having a grand opening celebration, uh, sort of a party because we couldn't have a party when we opened sort of deal. So six months in, we're celebrating our opening. That's great, man. Um, let's go through their guests too. So Ted, you know, you're at New York Craft Malt. Um, the malt industry in New York has really evolved the last six or seven years. Just just tell us how it's changed for you. And you're up to five silos now. Well, uh, in the beginning years, which wasn't too long ago, uh, eight years ago, uh, there wasn't really any malting barley grown in New York State. So uh, we've come a long ways with that, uh, with Cornell jumping on board and, and uh, you know, coming up with their own uh, variety now. But the, uh, the barley was uh, marginal in the beginning years. At the, that means the malt was marginable. Uh, we've come a long ways. I think now uh, we've got world-class malt being uh, made in New York State with world-class uh, barley that's being grown in New York. We've yeah. uh, started with just base malts, you know, and that's where everybody starts out. And uh, all you could really make is like a pale or a pilsner in the beginning stages, but now you can get uh, chocolates, crystals, even flakes now. So we've evolved quite quickly in a short period of time. That's great. About how many breweries are, are regularly using your malt now? Uh, on a regular basis, uh, probably uh, 50 or a little bit more. And then we have uh, a good 30 uh, that are on uh, once a month or so. So. Uh, Quite a few breweries are, uh, in New York State are using our malts at this time. I saw that um, you know, there's so many really great breweries in New York now, and I was looking at the list of the, the Governor's Cup, some of the New York State winners. Um, are there a couple of, of those winning beers that, that used your malt, Ted? Uh, actually, yes. Uh, last year, uh, uh, Big Alice, uh, their, their Governor's Cup beer was made with all my malt, and also this year with Eli Fish. Uh, that, that beer was made with all my malt as well. Great. Hey, back to Jeff. So, so Jeff, you know, in your career, um, as you've worked with, you know, Chad and Chris and, and, and Ted, um, what choices did you have to make when you were, when you were starting your own line at Endless Brewing? Uh, well, I, fortunately, you know, given that I was able to, to play a little bit with it, um, both at the breweries that I worked at and as a continued avid home brewer, um, I've been able to, to really sort of hone some of it in, or at least sort of understand the flavor profile of, of these ingredients in the way that I did, you know, 
like continental ingredients or, or, you know, New Zealand hops or something of that nature. Um, so, so I was lucky to learn just through practice, um, and repetition, but, uh, I was also working at the at Brooklyn homebrew at the homebrew shop when Ted first got, got up and running. And there were, there was good periods there where we consistently carried Ted's malt. So even, even back to the very early days, um, I was able to, to use his malt. So I've, I've been sort of following along and, and watching the growth and the, the progress there. Uh, so kind of from the beginning with Ted, and then I, I got to know Chad and, and Chris a lot more recently, you know, handful or so years ago and sort of same thing, just got to, to know them and their ingredients side by side. Oh, that's great. So I'm, I'm drinking your, the endless life brewing para siempre says Mexican lager. Um, what, what ingredients are in that and anything from the folks on this call today? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, entirely. Uh, so I, think the two beers that you have, uh, the Kolsch and the Mexican lager both use a hundred percent of Ted's malt and the hops in the, the Mexican lager, the para siempre, uh, those actually came from Chad. Yeah. Yeah. We used, uh, Magnum hops from Chad in that. So at the, at the vineyard. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get Chad. Chad, let's talk a little bit about the vineyard. And uh, how you interact with brewers like Jeff? Sure. There was actually an event, uh, I don't know, maybe four, five years ago now, down in New York City, where that was kind of like grower, meat brewer type of event. Uh, there was a bunch of growers and a bunch of brewers down there. And uh, Jeff actually had a very unique story. Uh, I went down there and I met Jeff, and he told me he couldn't stay very long. He was off to meet, uh, he was going to go to a a concert, a Kruder and Dorfmeister concert. I'm like, this is such a New York City type thing. And I almost ditched everything <laughs> to go with him. But uh, since then, he's kind of kept in touch. And uh, he's, you know, made a commitment to New York ingredients that, you know, us uh, at the Vineyard really appreciate. And what is the Vineyard? Are you guys hop growers? Yeah, the Vineyards, uh, we started out as hop growers, uh, you know, just we, maybe about nine years ago now. Um, and we've kind of morphed, uh, from that, uh, a lot of other growers in the area couldn't really find markets and weren't really, you know, good at selling their own products. So we started aggregating hops, uh, from other growers as well, and just sell it under the vineyard brands. Let's call them vineyard growers. Oh, that's great. Um, and, and what's, what's the challenge for you right now, uh, this time of year, what's going on in, in most of the growers hops? Uh, we're right up against harvest right now. I mean, the cones are in full bloom. Uh, they don't have the aromatics that they need yet, so that'll that'll be coming on in the next couple of weeks. But pretty much all growers right now are really gearing up towards harvest, uh, making sure their you know harvesters are running well, making sure they have their their crews in place. Uh, this is pretty much go time for a, for a hop grower. Yeah, and what about the equipment? I mean, I remember like even eight years ago, hop harvesters were considered very rare in new york and they still kind of are but there's been a couple of new entries into the market where uh you know for not a ton of money you can get a small scale harvester uh some work better than than others uh us we were you know pretty new to the game almost a decade ago and we ended up going with a harvester that we purchased from germany sight unseen uh it, I, I remember the day it came to our 
farm. I had no idea how it worked, no idea how, how to hook it up, but we figured it all out. We put it all together and it's, it's been a staple of the business ever since. And, uh, she just comes along. So we spent a lot of time this day making sure that the harvester's happy. And, uh, hopefully she comes through for us for the next, for the next month, because we're going to be working her hard. Yeah. Hey, Chad, uh, earlier today, you, you, you said you had a question for Jeff about navigating something about navigating uh, brewing and, and using New York ingredients. You want to ask yeah. him that question? Yeah, absolutely. So, Jeff, you know, ever since the Kruder and Dorfmeister concert evening, you know, you you told me that, you know, you really wanted to use New York ingredients and you had a commitment to that. I was just kind of wondering, how, you know, for you, how the how the landscape had changed. I mean, back then, you know, there wasn't that many growers. You know, some people didn't know what they were doing. Some did. Uh like what? What is in, in in the eyes of a brewer? How how has a landscape in terms of hop growing changed for you? Well, I think overall, uh, malt and hops, the quality uh, has has gotten significantly better um, overall. But I think for myself and Jason at Strong Rope, uh, very much it's a game of sort of uh, finding what you like and and who you trust. And sort of whittling that wide list down to, you know, a handful of people that you, that you know, that you like on a personal level, but more moreover, who are just bringing the quality and that you can trust it no matter what they send you or what you ask for or what you speak to them about, that you can you can trust their word and trust what they, they send you, that it's going to be good. Um, I know that, that one of the things that... that you and I worked on um, was there was a project that Alex Biederman and I worked on where we would get like a pound of uh, hops from various hop growers in the state and we'd divide them up between the two of us and brew as many different batches of beer on a homebrew scale as we could with those hops, different styles, and then get together about once a month uh, with Jason and drink through those beers and try to understand what that hop you know, expression is across a bunch of different styles of beer to try to better understand what that hop is actually giving you in a beer, uh, sort of try to, you know, <clears throat> cancel out all the background noise of what's happening in the beer and find the, the common uh, denominator. And I think that was really helpful, uh, just sort of running experiments like that. This was awesome, by the way, Jimmy. I, I just got to tell a story here real quick because because uh, this was awesome. So we actually sent uh jeff just what he was saying right there some of our galena hops and galena hops you know traditionally in the pacific northwest is a is a bittering hop uh jeff and alex and uh whoever else was in, involved in this ended up making i believe it was a lager a, a, a pale ale you know all all smash so it was that one single hop and i remember i used to tout it as a as a bittering hop we wanted you know to grow with the, the that one bittering hop but you really opened my eyes to be able to use that as a an aroma hop. So, you know, not only was that experiment, hopefully, you know, uh, good for you, but it's completely changed the way that I, that I sell that. So that was, that was, that was pretty cool. So thanks for doing that. Absolutely. Thank you for, uh, for allowing us to, so it, it changed our view in that too. And the Kolsch that, uh, that endless life opened with actually uses, uh, all Galena hops because of that. And that's not a choice I would have made before we did that experiment. So yeah, we we both had our our minds blown a little bit with that. Cool. You know, you know, Jeff, in the, the different places you've brewed, and even now opening your own place, have you you've had the time to be able to step aside and do these 
types of tests and and kind of ongoing learning, haven't you? Yeah, you absolutely have to make the time to to keep learning and keep, you know, I found homebrewing to be really really helpful in that, you know, once or once a week or once every other week, um, even if you're you're banging out all the batches day by day at the day job, you you know, the homebrewing's where you can kind of really do simple experiments to learn what what these ingredients really will bring. Yeah. And not not and trying I, to not trying to necessarily brew a, a complete vision, a complete completed beer that you might be happy sharing with somebody else, but doing something simple just to learn. So I know that with um with with malt, you can do the hot steep test. Is is there a way that you can tell what the hops are going to be like other than brewing them? I think these guys can speak to it more. I think traditionally you you rub some cones. Um, I I have to be honest and tell you that I I I'm not as good at vis- envisioning what the final beer is is going to taste like or smell like by rubbing cones. I think that's a, a learned practice that I probably have many more hours to 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 gain more knowledge than I have right now. But these guys well, are think fantastic. If you're at using it. D- different hops from different growers you're probably going to have to brew it like you like you said you did anyways. I mean, it's not like you're buying from the same farm every year and you're you're checking two different varieties, right? Sure. And you know, you you get to see some consistency and I think that gets better over time. Um, but it's still it's an agricultural product which is part of the joy. That's part of, you know, the excitement of using New York ingredients is is that it's less commodified and it's it's more variable year by year, particularly in the quest to to deliver better hops or better malt for us. I think these guys take chances to, to try to deliver just the best that they can uh, and, and sort of value that over consistency at this point. Not that they're not consistent, but just, you know, getting better is more important than giving you the same. I agree with you. Hey, let's get Chris on. Chris, how are you, brother? Pretty good. So uh, you tell us a little bit about, about your, your New York Hop Guild and um, how you – know Jeff and how you interact with brewers like him. Yeah. So, uh, the New York hop guild, we're a collection of growers, uh, here in New York. And then we also work with a bunch of growers in other countries and other States and everything. Um, we met Jeff, uh, when he was at, uh, you know, Keg and Lantern, I think. And, uh, we've worked together a little bit here and there, um, different collabs and, and basically talking shop and, and where the New York industry is and, um we're super pumped when he decided to to end up doing his own his own brewery basically yeah and where you been like last time i had you on a couple years ago with with jason from strong rope and you were you were part of one hop farm but you were also kind of just getting this new york hop guild going yep that's correct yeah so we still have our farm which is crooked creek hops um which we're you know that's growing as well um, not quite as quickly as the guild is. Uh, but yeah, so the guild now we're actually in Elmira, New York. We've got a warehouse there and a full processing facility and, you know, where we can store that and some fruit puree and, um, you know, all these hops that we're selling from all over the place, basically. And where, where, where are the farms in New York that, that you're getting hops from? So anywhere's from Western New York all the way out on the shores of Lake Erie to uh, you know Central New York and Oneana basically. Uh, the majority of them would be 
you know, just north of the Finger Lakes or just south of the Finger Lakes and uh, a few of them there in, in central New York region. So it's it's kind of spread out all over the place, um, similar to what, you know, the hops, how hops were grown in, in uh, back in the 1800s, basically. And are you are you on the traditional areas where hops were grown then? Yeah, absolutely. The only I think the only place that we don't cover that hops had a big area in back in the day is uh um up up along um the saint lawrence river basically so but everything else central new york um like the lake ontario region the i-90 region and and the southern tier of new york i think i i forget how you guys got started so you already had the farm and then when did you start growing hops um yeah so we started growing hops in 2014 um I'd be the seventh generation farmer on that land. Um, and I think the second hop farmer, uh, my, my grandfather said that his great grandfather had some hops and sure enough, we, we found where he used to grow because <laughs> we found some old ones. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we did that. And then with the, the guild, we had another farm approach me about putting something together. And after about a year's worth of talks, we, we decided to, uh, to jump on it and start talking to some other farms and, and, uh, get the guild going basically. Yeah. Is there like a, a popular hop that you have, or is it just each hop is different from each grower each year? Um, there is, I mean, we, um, we do have some hops, so certain varieties from certain farms that are, are pretty popular. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, I guess you could say we specialize in the guys that are doing really well with certain varieties. We want them to expand and the guys that maybe aren't doing so well with those varieties, we, we try to get them to, to rip those out and do, you know, do hops that they're actually doing well with. So that way the hops that they're growing are agronomically correct. And, and because what we're learning is some of these hops grow better in central New York compared to say the Southern tier or say in the sands along, you know, Lake Ontario. Um, so as a collective of growers, we get to kind of play around with that and find what works best for each grower. And, uh, so that way they're, they're more sustainable. Um, as a, a cumulative effort, you know, we've got a couple of varieties that do well, like, uh, our Michigan coppers and, uh, this last year or earlier this year, we released a, a new, um, thiol footprint based, uh, New York, all New York, 100% New York state blend, called excelsior that's done very well um we're actually sold out of it at this point in time um but we're we're expecting to do much more with that great so we're, you're right now you're at this empire farm event yep that's correct yeah me and chad are both here T just give me like a snapshot of your day or this week is there is there more time spent on the business on talking to the the, the hop growers talking to the brewers what, what how is your week set up? Because I'm sure you have 20 things going at once. <laughs> yeah, right now it's a little crazy. It's trying to balance it all out, right? So you're you're talking with, with farmers to set up meetings to make sure that everything's, you know, they're comfortable with everything. Um, making sure that they understand when we might need, you know, stuff harvested. Um, when they are going to need to harvest certain things. Uh, talking with brewers about contracts and wet hops and all sorts of everything, you know, basically everything. I mean, most of the day to day, I was walking some of my own yards and I was on the phone the whole time while I was doing scouting. So, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of everything this time of year. 
You know, New York State is so big, um, especially when you get out west. So where are you right now? Where is that that farm event? We're at um, – I'm back in the brewery at Heritage Hill uh, Brewery and Kitchen up in uh, Pompeii, New York right now. Where is that? Oh, uh, south – It's just south of Syracuse. South of Syracuse, okay. Wow. And that, and Jeff, do, do you appreciate all the, the diversity of of farms and climates and everything in New York State? It's quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. We're we're blessed to live where we do to where we, you know, where I can open a, a brewery and do something like this where we can get all of our ingredients from within the state and have, you know, so much choice. I don't feel boxed in at all. You know, these guys work their ass off to give us high quality ingredients and, and do the, do the analytical work to, and, and the organoleptic uh, work to help us get where we need to be and know what we're, know what to expect out of this. Yeah. These guys are great. So, so back to your, your craft law, the Paris Sampre right now, that's, that's my favorite beer of the summer. Um, I feel like that good loggers have to be craft loggers now. Um, what is it about this lager that it, I can say this makes it better than the other beers I've had this summer? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd start with the ingredients. Um, you know, you have, you have to start there. It all starts and ends there. Doesn't matter how good I am at what I do. If the ingredients aren't good, we're not going to have very good beer. It all, it all rests on the shoulders of, of all the farmers and the maltsters and the, the hop growers. Yeah. And when when you made the beer, just tell us like th- this recipe and how you created it. Were you um, open to to how different ingredients would affect the flavor, or you went in knowing how it would come out? I think with this particular one, um, I had more of a vision of what I wanted the end result to be. Whereas most beers, I'm, you know, I I have I have an idea of where I want it to go, but I'm totally open to if it if it takes a side road or if we find something uh that we really like by accident we can kind of learn from that and and keep moving forward with that build upon that but this one definitely uh stems from you know way too much money and way too many uh cans of Modelo (laughs) I like it and what about Ted Ted, what what malt is in this beer the Paris Sempre uh, you would have to ask Jeff that. Um, so it, you don't you don't keep a note a note from every damn beer that's brewed with your with your malt. I would have to go back to the invoice, I guess, and see. <laughs> uh, so it's it's this uh, the Mexican lager is uh, malt wise. It's a hundred percent of Ted's Excelsior Pils Pilsner malt and. Uh, his flaked corn, which is actually the the first commercial batch of flaked corn. Although our sour red that we have uh, has some of the test batch he did in it, so technically that was that preceded this. But this is the first commercial batch of the flaked corn. Wow! So Ted, is this the, is this the new the New York barley that was talked about the last couple of years? The Excelsior. Uh, it's kind of a coincidence. Um, I've had a, my, uh, Excelsior, Excelsior gold, uh, Pilsner, uh, I kind of trademarked about 
five years ago, uh, maybe a little more. But uh, Cornell's new variety that they uh, uh, that they developed just for the Northeast, uh, there was some competition on what they should name it, and the name came out to be uh, Excelsior Gold. Uh, so just just coincidental, uh, uh, the names are are similar. But it's it's a good name, good name for all. So when, all right. when Ted gets to malt that, it's going to be uh, Excelsior squared or double Excelsior. <laughs> I like that. I like it. Wow. <laughs> nice. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes and talk more on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by the wine the world is talking about, Washington Wine. From its one-of-a-kind landscapes to a statewide culture of craft and innovation, Washington is made to make wine. That's why winemakers from around the globe are coming to Washington to set up shop and why 90-point wines are practically falling from the skies. Ready to sip for yourself? August is Washington Wine Month, meaning it's the perfect time to explore some wineries. 1,050 and counting. And try some of today's most exciting wines. The new Map My Washington Wine app makes it easier than ever, too. You can get to know all the wineries, tasting rooms, and vineyards, find nearby events, customize your ultimate wine trip, and more. Download the free Map My Washington Wine app. That's Map My W-A Wine and get all of Washington wine right in your hand. Washington Wine, this is now. HRN is excited to unveil the new look of food radio. We have a new brand identity and a new website. Our site makes it easier than ever to discover new podcasts and dig through our archive of 16,000 episodes. It's been 12 years since HRN started broadcasting food radio, and we've made it this far thanks to the support of our global listening community. It's because of member donations that Beer Sessions Radio is on the air with 30 other weekly shows. Your contributions give HRN the security we need to stay on the air during the pandemic and are allowing us to reopen our studio. Becoming a monthly sustaining member of HRN shows how much you care about Beer Sessions Radio and Food Radio, what it means to you. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Check us out and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. There's a new website and a lot of benefits for members at heritageradionetwork.org. So Jeff Lyons, Endless endless Life Brewing, man. Um, very excited for your beers. Um, I've always been a fan of, of your beers. Uh, in addition to your Mexican lager in the coast, what else have you been making um, regularly? Are you, are you doing regular beers or are you just – doing some batches and you know what's what's it like at, at the tasting room in terms of like selection we're doing batches and trying to remain you know introduce beers uh as seasonally appropriate um i'm sure all these beers will find their way back into the into the rotation at some point um some of them very specific seasonally and some of them just whenever we have an opportunity um so yeah we'll we'll see repeats we don't really have flagships, but uh, you know, I think we'll we'll have a big wide selection that you'll if you like something you'll see it come back. 
In, in terms of like fun ideas, um, I saw that you, you, you were offering a beer for a year. Um, sure. It's, it's sort of a CSA kind of concept where, you know, we, we thought that we would be on about a once a month release schedule um, on, on each side, um, both on the, the lager side and on the, the mix firm side. So we thought, you know, if you, if you pay some money up front, you could buy into sort of a membership um, or a, a, a communal type thing where you pay all your money up front and then you can come in once a, once a month and get a four pack on the lager side, uh, four pack of cans, or you can pick up a bottle a month um, on, the, on the mixed fermentation slash sour side. That sounds pretty great. Yeah, and then throw a few perks in just for for the commitment and in the support. Yeah, t-shirt and some you know glassware. Have some fun with it. Yeah, you know you you, you definitely undersell yourself because I do love your beers, man. I remember two years ago for for Rye Week New York, you had made uh, some kind of rye beer, a Roga beer, um, at at one of the places you worked, and I've always loved your beer. So you know. In the in the course of your work, what's a question that you would ask Ted at you know, New York Craft Malt? You know, I'm, I've been talking about your Para Sempre, your your lager, other beers. What, what what's a question that you would be asking of of the the the, the craft maltster? Um, Ted, I think we could uh, we could go till the sun comes up with the amount <laughs> of questions that I've asked Ted over over the years. He's always been so knowledgeable and so accommodating as, as with Chris and, and Chad and, and everybody else that we deal with. I'm not sure, Ted, you anything popped to, to the front of your mind on that? Well, I, I you kind of hit it with the, uh, the hops and you doing all the experiments with the hops, uh, you and Jason and Alex and, uh, uh, you know, being in this, uh, industry from the very beginning, which isn't too long ago, uh, the starting point. Uh, a lot of brewers have used my malt, but then they go silent, and I don't know if it's good or it's bad. Or so if it's if I'm not getting any feedback, you know, I must be doing everything right, right? <laughs> not 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 so much. But I, I do want to give you uh, uh, you kudos and part of my success, if not all my success. Uh, uh, you and Jason and Jeff and Big Alice, John and Kyle, you guys have been giving me constructive criticism from the very beginning. I've been listening and adjusting. And if I didn't have that, uh, I don't know where I would be because I would be thinking I'm doing everything right. But I, I knew I wasn't. But I can only adjust what I'm doing listening to you. And I want to thank you very much for all that uh, input. Uh, and I, I continue to uh, listen to your input, and uh, I just want to thank you for uh, for helping me grow my company as well. Yeah, you're you're absolutely welcome. It's my pleasure. See, it's the only way any of us get better, right? You just need that constructive criticism. I definitely need it for my beers. I need people to tear these things apart, find the little flaws yeah. so that we can get better. I, I just don't know. Uh, you've picked a really hard way when you can get commodity malts and commodity. Uh, everything for cheaper. Why would you go this hard way? <laughs> I got a hard head, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Agree. No, Jeff, you have to answer that. that that's that's Ted's question. 
I think we touched on it before. I think it's the relationships that we can form. And I think it's, it's the openness to wanting to basically, I think the, you know, we're, we're never going to nail a beer the same way that somebody else, uh, anywhere else around the country or the world can by getting, uh, something that is more of a commodity malt where they can, you know, buy the same malt that everybody else gets buy the same hops that everybody else gets use the same yeast. And, you know, you're going to have variation from brew house to brew house, but more or less you can make the same beer as, as somebody else if you decided to. Whereas what we're doing with the New York stuff is, is much more of, you know, finding our way through it and, and finding the best way forward. Yeah. Jeff, talk, talking about New York, brewing in New York City and having a tap room in New York City, um, you opened during COVID. Um, how have things changed in terms of your like your business plan? Originally, at some one point, were you going to can? Were you only going to have a tap room? How, how did you originally envision this brewery, and and where do you see it going now? Well, I, I, I think with me, uh, when you start putting you know, serious thoughts on paper and, and really trying to hone it in and trying to figure out what's important to you and what's not. Uh, there was never a doubt that we were going to use hundred percent New York ingredients for the reasons we've already talked about, but that, you know, the community aspect of this, it applies there, but it also applies to how we want to interact, uh, with the community. And it's tough to do that. It's more difficult to do that in a more production type setting. So we, we always envisioned having a tap room. That was sort of the, the, the must have, uh, it helps financially as well, obviously, uh, to, to be able to sell pints and four packs directly to, to the, the community, but it's that interaction, being able to invite people in, have them have your beer, have a conversation with them while they're, while they're drinking your beer. Uh, sort of going back to what we were talking about, about the constructive criticism, but also being able to tell your story and being able to to tell the story beyond just what is in the glass and have that dissociated from the fact that this is an agricultural product, that it takes people like Ted and Chris and Chad and, and the rest to provide these ingredients and us to, for, or we wouldn't even be able to to make beer. Yeah. So how did the um, the Meet the Hop Grower event go over? Uh, it was it was a bit of a, a quiet one, but it, it gave us the opportunity to to have some uh, really in depth conversation. Uh, Alex Biederman was able to come over, and the three of us were able to. Man, uh, we were there till about two thirty uh, in the morning, just drinking beer and talking about uh, the the state of the industry and kicking ideas back and forth. Yeah, no, I've done that many times. You had an event, you turned it into a. Uh, a session um absolutely um, but that's you know that's we that that's how we we grow these relationships every time that you know jason uh chauffeurs me up to a malt malt barley summit or you know the the state cbc or anything like this um you know we we certainly enjoy some beers but it, that gives us the opportunity face to face to be able to to catch up and figure out, you know, what, he, what each other are doing and, and where we sort of see ourselves going and how to get there together. Uh, I'll give Ted a lot of credit for, for one thing in particular, uh, uh, other than just the huge kudos in general. 
that, you know, I've probably nagged at him for three or four years at least to, to get a Munich malt made that, you know, uh, that was sort of the one big thing that we were missing in the state, um, was, it was a beautiful Munich malt and every chance I got, I'd, I'd nag at him for it. And he yep. finally, finally put one out a while back and it's, it's beautiful. It's every, everything I could have hoped for. What, what, which beers do you, would you use Munich malt in? Uh, I became a big fan of sort of sneaking them into a whole lot of beers. I believe I probably have a touch of it in, in the Kolsch. Uh, there's definitely a good deal of it. It's the, the main, uh, backbone of the Maybach that we made. Um, and definitely lots of it in the sour red. Uh, yeah, I'll sneak them into a, a number of lagers, uh, and, and the sour beers as well. You just get a beautiful sort of rich bready character out of out of a nice Munich malt that you can't get out of any other malt. So it's just just something I fell in love with and knew that I wanted to to somehow find a way to approximate with with the New York ingredients. Ted Ted definitely yeah. delivered. Oh, good. Hey, let's go back to Chad. Chad, um, the Bineyard, bro. Um, just tell us more about working with the, diff- the different hop growers. Cause like, you know, 10 years ago, growing hops was the sexiest thing. Everyone was, there were small hop grower meetings. People were trying to get anyone with a small farm to start planting hops. Home brewers were planting them. Um, places like in the East village, like good beer on ninth street still has hops growing in their backyard, um, uh, that they give to home brewers. Um, tell us about the, your industry now. Yeah, I mean, it's been a little bit of an uphill battle, to be honest with you. So, like, when, pe- when we first started on, you know, uh, Cornell gave some information out that you plant, you know, one acre of hops and you're going to be filthy rich. Well, it didn't really turn <laughs> out to be anything like that. So, uh, you know, with the rise of hemp, too, uh, I think hops kind of fell out of, out of favor with the average grower that wasn't you know super serious maybe the hobbyist or something like that uh so we saw a little decline uh but uh recently uh we actually got uh through our organization chris and i both are members of uh hop growers of new york we actually secured some money from the state to start a hop breeding program uh it will take a couple years but just like uh the excelsior gold uh we will eventually um have a hop specific to New York state. And since then, um, a lot of stuff has really kind of, you know, started snowballing a little bit. Like people are starting to show interest in again. And in fact, in the last month I've gotten, you know, calls from two hops, uh, poles, pole suppliers. We're like, Hey, are you expanding? Here are some poles, you know, which I haven't gotten a call like that in probably five years. So, uh, there's also some interest up in Franklin County. They wanted to know who the growers are up in there as they wanted to do, uh, an initiative through, Cornell Cooperative. So it kind of seems like things are coming back a little bit. And, uh, you know, even today at the Empire Farm events, you know, it's a bunch of farmers walking around and there's a whole craft beer aspect to this event. Uh, I had a ton of people come up to the booth and say, hey, you know, I'm interested in growing hops. What do I need to do? So uh, I think it's kind of, you know, it's coming back a little bit. I I, I think it's going to be a a different scene. Uh, but you know, people are still out there. People are still interested and it's really only going to make the New York industry stronger as a whole, having, you know, many multiple farms growing, growing crops. So, uh, in my opinion, the future is bright. That's great, man. Very uplifting. Um, 
Jeff, tell us what's in the Kolsch. Tell us about that beer. Uh, so the Kolsch, um, we're trying to to broaden the the malt bill to to add some depth to it. So the base of it's uh, again Ted's Excelsior Pilsner malt, but we tried to use some uh, some unmalted uh, sort of raw white wheat to try to add a real doughiness to it. Uh, sort of on the underneath, a real soft mouthfeel, kind of, uh, I don't know, like the most oaty oatmeal that you can think of, that kind of that kind of thing. Um, uh, what else is in there? There's some Munich for that rich breadiness that we were talking about. We, were just, we, used, we used a few malts to try to build it out and build some body um, so that instead of just getting just a straight-ahead, like sort of saltine cracker type uh, character in and of itself, but broaden it out beyond that add some depth to the the malt character yeah man and uh hey ted i want to ask you about some other new york state uh craft malt stuff um you said you're growing or you're, you're selling naked barley tell us about the, the naked barley and how what you're doing might differ from what what is going on for bakers and other uh other users well, um, we started up, it was about a three and a half year project. Uh, Jeff wanted me to do as well. Uh, but uh, to start a flaking operation, there's, there was no uh, New York State grown flakes or produced any flakes in the state. So uh, uh, there's barley grown, there's oats grown, but you have to dehaul them before you, uh, before you flake them. Uh, the flaking operation is a, uh, we, we steam condition them, uh, we cook them, uh, then we run them through a, uh, a, a big roller mill, then we dry them down uh, and pack them up. But they're pre-gelatized for quick conversion and so on. But the thing about the, uh, the standard oats and the barley normally grown, you have to dehaul them or it'll just make a, a mess uh, in the uh, flaker mill. So I, uh, my attempt to skip a, skip a uh, step in all this, which is dehauling the barley and the oats, uh, I grew some uh, haulless varieties of both. So uh, little did I know there was also an initiative uh, in New York State for naked barley for, for the baking industry, which uh, is, is kind of, we're kind of coming together on that. Uh, I will be malting them as well and roasting them as well. And the, uh, the Hollis barley will become bitterless chocolates and things like that. Uh, but for most, for the most sake, it was for the flaking operation, but we're going to be uh, putting a full line of uh, different roasts and uh, uh, flakes together for those Hollis varieties. Yeah. And I'm going to give a shout out talking about New York, rise of New York ingredients uh, my biggest champion and someone who's introduced me to so many people the last 12 years is June Russell, who uh, worked for a long time, Grow NYC Green Markets, was the top inspector. So she was all around the 250-mile radius in New York City inspecting all the farms. And at the same time, she had founded the Grow NYC Regional Grains Project way back in 2008 or something. And um, you know now she's recently gone on to work full-time in grains at the Glenwood. Uh, which is a, a great 
agricultural nonprofit in the Hudson Valley. Um, so I just want to give you guys a heads up that hopefully uh, it seems like I feel like the grains is going to go to the next level and, and hopefully malt with it, um, Ted. So yes, that's my yeah. plug for June. But <laughs> I, I, um, second, I second that. June's great. I'll, I'll third that. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, any other heroes you have out there? Like talk about heroes, um, you know, like 10 years ago, eight years ago, you, you and, and Alex and Jason – there were home brewers that I knew and you guys are doing great work. Who, who else is, should you give a shout out to? I, I think, I think Brett Taylor over at wild East is doing some amazing things across the board, but in particular, you know, more pertinent to this conversation, uh, he's using a whole lot of New York ingredients. Um, it could be mistaken, but I'm pretty certain that all of his, farmhouse style beers are using New York state ingredients and they're just, you know, they're, they're literally award-winning um, and they're absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and I, that's true. I know that um, in May there was the Schuna Apollonia, which, which was a, a sale freight coming down the Hudson mm-hmm. and he brought about 10,000 pounds of malt from Hudson Valley malt. And I know that they, someone, someone actually put a horse on a cart and, Rode it over from the Brooklyn Terminal to uh, Wild East. Yeah, so yeah. that's so good to hear. We're we're doing that's another tough. shipment in in late September. Uh, Jason will be involved. Strong Rope, I believe that Wild East is in on this. And then um, I'm actually Endless Life is brewing a collaboration with Five Borough. We're going to do a dark lager, and we're gonna we're gonna have a shipment come down from Dennis at um, Hudson Valley Malting to to come down on the Apollonia for that. You know. The fun never ends. That's great, man. Yeah. Yeah. The, the last thing is just, I, I, I've been a champion and it's not my, of course it's my, I, I love things from farms. I love things local. I love things direct, whether it's eggs or, or anything. I always feel like, of course it's better. It's fresher, less handling. We all know that less preservatives. Um, but when it comes to beer, it's, it's the same as food. The taste is what does it for me. And I think the first beers I tried was in like 2014 that had, you know, malt from Valley Malt. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell the difference. And that's why I'm so excited about your Para Sempre um, lager. So I don't know. Do we have to do anything more to get the message out other than that the beer with local ingredients can taste better? I don't know. Let's take that one. Chris or Chad? Because we all know fresh hops taste better, but what we can do to make ingredients better, I don't know. Maybe just uh, honestly, I think a lot of education. A lot of the consumers, uh, they get a lot of marketing towards them for these, you know, Pacific North Northwest hops, you know, Citra Mosaic, you know, all these crazy things. Uh, I, I think if they were really, they'd be very surprised uh, if they were to drink New York. And, you know, really know that you can make those exact same beers uh, with New York State ingredients. In fact, I'm drinking an Underground Beer Lab uh, beer right now from uh, Underground Beer Lab. is a brand new beer, uh, brand new brewery right here in Syracuse, New York. And it's a NEPA made with 100% New York hops from the vineyard. Thank you, Keith. Uh, and, um, and it's absolutely delicious. So education, I think, would go a long way. That's a great line. Yeah, I, mean, I still think the average person still thinks beer is 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 a is a factory product or it's chem, chemicals. Um, so I think we we've all got a long way to go. Ted, what about that in terms of uh, like malt education? 
do you feel that i don't mean the diehard craft beer person but does the average person even think that that malt is in their beer uh, i think most people think that the main ingredient is is hops uh but uh getting past that you know i Chad's right on with with uh, the education part of things. I think the people that are serving the beers uh, up front, uh, your your uh, servers, uh, they play a key key role in explaining the beers and explaining their this beer is uh, is supporting local agriculture, local producers, and uh, keeping the money local. It's it's all part of that 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 great story. Uh, so education. Uh, will 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 be needed forever and uh you know chad's right on with that but the certain brewers like jeff the beer should and and strong rope the beer should taste mm-hmm. better too <laughs> i mean that, yes forgot about forgot to say that yeah we yeah yeah we we all we all have a huge debt of gratitude to to jason that guy should never have to buy another beer uh, at least in the state of new york we we owe him a lot for all the work he's done um supporting these these farmers and growers and maltsters and uh and the education he's given us uh, allowed us to taste so many different things uh through through strong ropes tasting room um to be able to to learn from from everything he's done all his experience what i've noticed is a lot of these trends are kind of coming up from new york city too so there's been a lot of people down there you know jason jeff uh brad all these all these people all these brewers brewing delicious new york state beers uh that is starting to catch on and it's starting to work its way upstate so uh keep up the good work down there hey absolutely love hearing that that's we will for sure you guys that's too. Great. thank you well thanks so much jeff so um We'll be stopping by Endless Life Brewing out in uh, it, that's in Bed Stuy, right in Brooklyn. Uh, essentially, yeah, we're technically Crown Heights. We're just south of Atlantic, which I think is the delineation. But yeah, it's essentially Bed Stuy. We're on Franklin Avenue. Well, th- thanks so much for the beers and and thanks for help putting the show together. So big shout out to Jeff, Chad, Chris, and Ted. Um, thanks to our engineer Armin Spengen, and thanks for joining me on. Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.